Chapter 5 of The Zeitgeist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Zeitgeist by Lily Dougal. Chapter 5. An hour later, the small, solitary boat crept up the current of the moonlit river. The weary girl plied her oars, looking carefully for the nook under the roots of the old pine whence she had taken the boat. She saw the place. She even glanced anxiously about the ground immediately around it, thinking that in the glamour of light she could see everything. And yet, in that rapid glance, deluded, no doubt, into supposing the light greater than it was, she failed to see a man who was standing ready to help her to moor the boat. Bart Toyner watched her with a look of haggard anxiety as she came nearer. The uniform is a useful thing. It is almost natural to an actor to play his part when he has assumed its dress. A man in any official capacity is often just an actor, and the best thing that he can do at times is to act without a thought as to how his inner self accords with the action at least till we have attained to a higher level of civilization. Toyner had no uniform, nor had he mastered the philosophy that underlies this instinct for playing a part. He had an idea that the whole mind and soul of him should be in conscientious accord with all that he did. It was this ideal that made his fall certain. He had no notion that the girl had not seen him. Before she got out, when she put her hand to tether the boat, she felt his hand gently taking the rope from her, and fell back with a cry of fear. In her wearied state she could have sobbed with disappointment. How much had he discovered? If he knew nothing more than merely that she had returned with the boat, how could it be possible to elude him and come again the next night? She thought of her father, and her heart was full of pity. She thought that her own plans were baffled, and she was enraged. Both sentiments fused into keener hatred of Toyner. But she remembered, yes, even then she remembered quite clearly and distinctly, that if the worst came to the worst, and she could save her father in no other way, she had one weapon in reserve, one in which she had perfect faith. It was for this reason that she sat still for a moment in the boat, looking up at Toyner, trying to pry into his attitude toward her. At the end of the minute he put out his hand to lift her up, and she leaned upon it. Without hesitation, she began to thread her way through the wood toward home, and he walked by her side. He might have been escorting her from a dance, so quietly they walked together, except that the question of a man's life or death which lay between them seemed to surround them with a strange atmosphere. At length, Bart spoke. "'I don't know where you have been,' he said. "'I've been patrolling the shore all night.' He paused a while. I thought you were safe at home. She stopped short and turned upon him. Look here, what are you going to do now? It's a pretty mean sort of business that you've taken to, sneaking around your old friends to do them all the harm you can. It's the first time that you'd ever been a friend of mine, Anne. He said this in a sort of sad aside, and then, You've sense enough to know that when a man shoots another man, he's got to be found and shut up for the good of the country, and for his own good, too. It's the kindest thing that can be done to a man sometimes, shutting him up in jail. He said this last quite as much by way of explanation to himself as to her. Or hanging him, she suggested sarcastically. He paused a moment. I hope it won't come to that. 
but you'll do all you can to catch him, knowing that it's like to come to that. What's the good of hoping? He had only said it to soothe her. He had another self-justification. I can only do what I have to do. It is not me that will decide whether Walker dies or not. At any rate, it ain't no use to justify it to you. It's natural that you should look upon me as an enemy just now. But all the police in the country are more your enemies than I am. You've got him off now, I suppose. However you've done it, I don't pretend to know. It'll be someone else that catches him, if he's caught. She wondered if he was only saying this to try her, or if he really believed that Markham had gone far. Yet there was small chance, even then, that he would cease to watch her the next night and the next. He had shown both resolution and diligence in this business, qualities, as far as she knew, so foreign to his character that she smiled bitterly. A nice sort of thing religion is, to get out of the mire yourself and spend your time kicking your old friends further in. Now the fugitive had never been a friend to Toyner, except in the sense that he had done more than anyone else to lead him into low habits and keep him there. He had, in fact, been his greatest enemy, but that, according to Toyner's new notions, was the more reason for counting him a friend, not the less. "'Well, I grant, tain't a very grand sort of business being constable,' he said. "'To be a preacher you'd be finer, perhaps, but this came to hand and seemed the thing for me to do.' It ain't kicking men in the mire to do all you can to stop them making beasts of themselves. He stopped idling in the moonlight as he justified himself to this woman. Surely it was only standing by his new colors to try to make his position seem right to her. He had no hope in it, no hope of persuading her, least of all bringing her nearer to him. If he had had that, his dallying would have seemed sinful, because it would have chimed so perfectly with all his natural desires. Anne took up her theme again fiercely. "'Look here, Bart Toyner. I want to know one thing. Honor bright. That is—' Scornfully. "'If you care about honor now that you've got religion.' He gave a silent, sarcastic smile, such as one would bestow upon a naughty, ignorant child. "'Well, at least as much as I did before,' he said. "'Well, then, I want to know if you're a-going to stop spying on me now that Father has got well off.' There ain't no cause nor reason for you to hang about me any longer. You know what my life has been, and you know that through it all I've kept myself like a lady. It ain't nice, knowing as people do, that you came courting once. Tain't nice to have you hanging round in this way. He knew quite well that the reason she gave for objecting to his spying was not the true one. He had enough insight into her character, enough knowledge of her manner and modulations in her voice, to have a pretty true instinct as to when she was lying and when she was not. But he did not know that the allusion to the time when he used to court her was thrown out to produce just what it did in him, a tender recollection of his old hopes. Until Markham is arrested, you know, and everyone else at Fentown knows, that it is my duty to see that you don't communicate with him. You fooled me tonight, and I'll have to keep closer watch, but if you don't want me to do the watching, I can pay another man." She had hoped faintly that he would have shown himself less resolute. Now there was only one thing to be done. After all, she had known for days that she might be obliged to do it. "'I wouldn't take it so hard, Bart, if it was anyone but you,' she said softly. She went on to say other things of this sort, which would make it appear that there was in her heart an inward softness toward him which she had never yet revealed. With womanly instinct she played her little part well and did not exaggerate. 
but she was not speaking now to the man of drug-weakened mind and overstimulated sense whom she had known in former years. He spoke with pain and shame in his voice and attitude. "'There isn't anything that I could do for you, Anne, that I wouldn't do as it is, without you pretending that way.' She did not quite take it in at first that she could not deceive him. "'I thought you used to care about me,' she said. "'I thought perhaps you did yet. I thought perhaps—' She put well-feigned shyness into her tone, and that you weren't the sort that would turn away from us just because of what father has done. All the other folks will, of course. I'm pretty much alone. I won't help you break the laws, Anne. Law and righteousness is the same for the most part. Your feeling as a daughter leads you the other way, of course, but it ain't no good. It won't do any good to him in the long run, and it would be wrong for me to do anything but just what I ought to do as constable. When that's done, we can talk of being friends, if you like, but don't go acting with the lie of hope of getting the better of me. It hurts me to see you do it, Anne. For the first time there dawned in her mind a new respect for him, but that did not alter her desperate resolve. She had been standing before him in the moonlight with downcast face. Now she suddenly threw up her head with a gesture that reminded him of the way a drowning man throws up his hands. "'You've been wanting to convert me,' she said. You want me to sign the pledge, and to stop going to dances and playing cards, and to bring up Krista that way. All the thoughts that he had had since his reform, of what he could do for this girl and her sister, if she would only let him come before his heart now, lit through and through with the light of his love, that at that moment renewed its strength with a power which appalled him. She took a few steps nearer to him. Father didn't mean to do any harm, she whispered hastily. He's got no more sin on his soul than a child that gets angry and fights for what it wants. He's just like a child, father is. But it's been a lesson to him, and he'll never do it again. Think of the shame to Krista and me if he was hanged. And I've striven to keep us respectable. Bart, you know I have. There's no shame in the world like your father being. There was a nervous gasp in her throat before she could go on. And he'd be awfully frightened. Oh, don't you know how frightened he'd be? If I thought they were going to do that to him, it would just kill me. I'll do anything. I wouldn't mind so much if they'd take me and hang me instead. It wouldn't scare me so much. But father would be just like a child, crying and crying and crying, if they kept him in jail and were going to do that in the end. And then no one would, except Krista and me, to have any more fun, and we never would have any. There's a way that you can get father off, Bart and give him at least one more chance to run his life. If you'll do it, I'll do whatever you want. I'll sign the pledge. I'll go to church. I'll teach Krista that way. She and I won't dance any more. You can count on me. You can trust me. You know that when I say a thing, I'll do it. He realized now what had happened to him, a thing that of all things he had learned to dread most, a desperate temptation. He answered, and his tone and manner gave her no glimpse of the shock of opposing forces that had taken place within a heart that for many months had been dwelling in the calm of victory. "'I cannot do it, Anne.' "'Bart Toyner,' she said, "'I'm all alone in this world. There's not a soul to help me. Everyone's against me, and against him. Don't turn against me. I need your help. Oh, I need it. I never profess to care about you. But if your father was in danger of dying an awful death, and you came to me for help, I wouldn't refuse you. You know I wouldn't. 
He only spoke now with the wish to conceal from her the panic within, for with the overwhelming desire to yield to her had come a ghastly fear that he was going to yield, and faith and hope fled from him. He saw himself standing there face to face with his idea of God, and this temptation between him and God. The temptation grew in magnitude, and God withdrew his face. I know, Anne. It sounds hard about your father, mechanically. But you must try and think about how it would be if he was lying wounded like Walker, and some other man had done it. Wouldn't you think the law was in the right, then? No! Quickly. If father'd got a simple wound, and could be nursed and taken care of comfortably until he died, I wouldn't want any man to be hanged for it. It's an awful, awful thing to be hanged. She waited a moment, and he did not speak. The lesser light of night is fraught with illusions. She thought she saw him there, quite plainly standing, quiet and indifferent. She was so accustomed to his appearance, the carefulness of his dress, the grave eyes, and the thin, drooping mustache, that her mind by habit filled in these details which she did not in reality see. Nor did she see the look of agonized prayer that came and went across the habitual reserve of his face. "'Can't you believe what I say, Bart? I say that I will give up dancing and selling beer, and sign the pledge, and dress plain, and go to church. I say I will do it, and Christa will do it. And you can teach us all you've a mind to, day in and day out, and we'll learn if we can. Isn't it far better to save Krista and me, two souls, than to hunt one poor man to death? Don't you believe I'll do what I promise? I'll go home right now and give it to you in writing, if you like. I do believe you, Anne. He stopped to regain the steadiness in his voice. He had had training in forcing his voice in the last few months for he hated to bear verbal testimony to his religious beliefs, and yet he had taught himself to do it. He succeeded in speaking steadily now, in the same strong voice in which he had learned to pray at meetings. It was not exactly his natural voice. It sounded sanctimonious and ostentatious, but that was because he was forced to conceal that his heart within him was quaking. "'I do believe that you would do what you say, Anne, but it isn't right to do evil that good may come.' He did not appeal to her pity. He did not try to tell her what it cost him to refuse. If he could have made her understand that, she might have been turned from her purpose. He realized only the awful weakness and wickedness of his heart. He seemed to see those appetites which, up to a few months before, had possessed him like demons, hovering near him in the air, and he seemed to see God holding them back from him, but only for so long as he resisted this temptation. To her he said aloud, I cannot do it, Anne, in God's strength. I cannot and will not do it. Within his heart he seemed to be shouting aloud to heaven, My God, I will not do it. I will not do it. Oh, my God. He turned his back upon her and went quickly to the village, only looking to see that at some distance she followed him, trudging humbly as a squaw walks behind her Indian as far as her own door. End of chapter 5